Radio, the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Okay, welcome back to part two of the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Um, as you just heard, that was Paul, who gave us a lot of insight into the world of um, football and television, and that was really, really insightful. But now we are going to be discussing, um, how do they say it on like the cartoons, the normal or the... the um, normal coverage will resume something like that I don't know um, but yeah as we said at the beginning this is it's been the first weekend without football and it's been a little bit of a strange one for me like strangely um, I've strangely been okay about it and I don't remember feeling like this last season I think last season I was more relaxed because of how it all ended this season, we just had the FA Cup final, so it doesn't really feel like football has ended because we've still got Champions League final. We've still got the Europa Conference League final, which is significant for Arsenal fans because a certain somebody will be most likely playing their last game. So although football is over, football isn't really over, is it, Adam? It's. I guess it's not. It is for us because we've got our our feet up thinking transfers but there is still what there's still two games left this week um the big one for us is the uh, europa conference final because 72 hours after that i'm hearing arsenal are going to make their first bid for declan rice Mm. so so yeah so so yeah that, that is the weird thing this season is over for premier league football but actually we are forgetting that the season isn't over for a lot of clubs in Spain. It's, it, it finishes tonight. Yeah. Um, th- there's other leagues where it, it wraps up this weekend. Obviously, France, where Balogun got his 21st of the season last night. And uh, so we're so obsessed with transfers right now, actually, we forget that there's still a lot of football being played. So, mm. so yeah, it's a strange time. It, it's kind of that it's a real lull. If unless you're a West Ham or Man City fan right now, and I, I mean, how have you been feeling personally, knowing that you know not, we're not going to be watching? I, mean, I don't think I've quite processed that we're not going to be seeing Arsenal play for a very, very long time. Especially when you go on social media and you see, you know, some of the posts and the stories from the lads, the players who are on holiday, and um, a few things that we've learned about our players um, over the last couple of days, haven't we? Yeah, it's been crazy. Every time I've like. Open Twitter. There's another Arsenal player having a kid. It's, it's <laughs> nonstop. Like Fabio Vieira still looks like a kid, and yeah. he, he's the, he's the latest to pop up. And um, yeah. he like he looks like he's about fourteen and just got a bit of hair on his chin. Uh, do you reckon and, they uh, planned it? Because it all seems a he, little bit. I was thinking that I was like, this is very convenient that all these announcements have come out. I think there was Gabriel. Oh no, was it? There Aaron Ramsdale, Fabio Vieira. There was a couple of others, and I was like, "This is cr- like how's this all happening at the same time?" Like, what what was the game? So it's um, it's one of those like I remember after um, I think it was after the Champions League final, Jordan Henderson's child was born exactly nine months after it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah it's um, so yeah, it's really weird that it's just been one after another announcements, and I guess maybe some of them have held off on the announcements until after the season because yeah. well, you know what people are like on social media—they wouldn't just say congratulations when it's during a season. Yeah, yeah. Why are you not thinking about football? Thinking about becoming a father? Who's that? Are you talking to me? No, no, I'm, I'm oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm in the same boat as well. Okay, so, um, but I, yeah, it's it's interesting because I mean those scans, the pictures of those scans. I mean, they're they're, they're usually typically what 12, twelve that you get your twelve week scan and then your twenty week scan. So three months ago, we practically had won the Premier League. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I wonder what game it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe the Bournemouth one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, first 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 weekend of, uh, without football, but we're here to provide you your 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 weekly dose of therapy, and we've got loads to talk about because loads has happened. So um, aside from the transfer news, we obviously know there's business at home to deal with, players to tie down um, new contracts, as well as move other individuals on who are you know surplus a requirement. Um, 
if there's one word that you would use to describe this upcoming window, what would that be? Crucial. Because mm. well, I, I, I think I think I'd use the word. Um, 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 what, is, well, what is the word I'm thinking of? Br- brutally honest. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word which is one this word is. which means brutally ruthless. There you go, ruthless. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think the two of them feed into each other. I think it's a critical window for Arsenal to get right. Um, that's why I've been so invested in this Declan Rice rumor since it came out. I think he's the the perfect character, the perfect player. And he just offers so much. I still think there's so much potential that's not been tapped into with Declan. And uh, even down to the coaches he's played for, Southgate, bang average coach, David Moyes. I think David Moyes is actually a very good coach. He's just a very one-dimensional coach who does very old-school things. So for a really tactical manager like Arteta to just unlock all the things that Rice offers would be superb. And... I think that's one of the things I was thinking about the other day is the expectations around the club. And this feeds into your point about being ruthless. The This season, last season, we were on this journey of we were all bought into top four, but we all knew it was a long shot. And end of the season, it was like we faltered because of injuries. We're going to bounce back stronger when we get top four. This year, we've gone a step further. We've been in a title race, and again, the title race, we faltered at the end, and it's injuries, our squad wasn't big enough, inexperience. But those expectations have changed, and one of the things that I've noticed where that big change has come already is the calibre of players that the fans want and those that we're being linked to. So we've got, obviously, Declan Rice, the other being Moises Caicedo, and we've been linked to the likes of Madison, Mount, and various other players as well. But just the, the two key ones, uh, Rice and Caicedo, you're talking the best part of £200 million for two players. Mm. Last year, we were happy with Gabriel Jesus for 45. We were happy with Zinchenko for 32 and Vieira being a shot in the dark that no one really knew much about. And um, I, I just, at the end of the window, when we were being linked to Mudrik, uh, Pedro Neto, and a couple of other players, again, like the likes of Neto wouldn't be someone that I would want at Arsenal now but we were getting excited about those players and I think those players now we would turn our noses up at them Telemans as well it's I think the only way we'd be looking at Telemans is if it was a backup as uh, someone to come on whereas a year ago we were probably looking at him as a starter so that's where the expectations have changed and I think getting it right this window and getting not just the right players in, but the right quality that's not that doesn't need to develop can literally walk into that team and take it up a level. That's something that I, I guess we did last year with Jesus and Zinchenko. But realistically, if we're being completely honest, it's been a long time since we looked at players that were at that top top drawer. Jesus was a sub for City, who probably I think he started 15 games last season. Zinchenko only played about 15, whereas now we're looking at two of the best players in the league that everyone wants, and we're competing against the best teams in the window. We're very much going into what will be a bit more for Rice. Whether fans like it or not, when you compete with that level of player, you're competing with the best. And that that's why it's so important that we get it right this year because the, the players we're after, our competitors are after as well. So if we miss out on one of those players, yes, we can pivot, but the chances are we'll be making our competitors stronger if we don't get them. So that's why, it, it, to me, it's critical. And it's also being ruthless with going out and potentially making some unpopular decisions with seals as well. But it's going to be a massive window. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And as I said, you know, not just for the incomings, but also outgoings and players who haven't featured um that much due to injury and other reasons and we heard earlier on in the week that Arsenal are um, pretty adamant and determined to keep uh, a certain Emil Smith-Rowe um, who we saw very little of this season and one of the players who you know who who in previous seasons really shone through and was 
quite highly regarded in not just the Arsenal community, but the footballing community as well. Highly spoken of by a number of um, pundits and, uh, you know, journalists of sorts. So how how do you assess this bit of news? Because for me, it's strange to hear Arsenal say we're keeping him on Smith-Rowe despite not giving him enough game time, even though he was fit, not bringing him on in, you know, during key moments of certain games, opting for other players like Fabio Vieira. I'm sure there are good reasons for it, but it's a bit of a strange indication to say that, you know, we're dead set on keeping him on Smith-Rowe. We've got a plan, but we didn't get any sort of foresight of that plan this season. And that's not something that's normal um, from, you know, just, just speaking purely from a football football fan's perspective, usually you know that a player's part of the plan when they're slowly being eased into a certain routine, a certain regiment. If it is the case that he's, he's going to be taking over a different role, i.e. the Granite Shaka role, then it would be helpful if he got some exposure in certain games in that role. We did see him a couple of times, but are the, are, are the clubs protecting him and choosing the right moments rather than um you know being rash i mean the same the same argument could be made with william saliba in terms of the number of loan spells that he had one could argue that that was just oh being overly cautious and just making sure that that investment paid off yeah I, i'm i'm really not sure about smithrow and his future at arsenal i know we've been told that he's staying um the whole easing him back in, I know there was a lot of intensity built up throughout the season. Everyone was at a certain level. There's been some people have said that maybe it was difficult to ease him back in after the surgery and everything. I don't quite buy that. Um, for me, there's if he's fit enough to sit on the bench, there was opportunities to ease him back into that squad. And especially 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, there were games where we were leading, where he opted for other players, as you said. Fabio Vieira got much more of a look in. Um, what was interesting, though, on this, so James Benge was on the Arsenal Vision pod the other day, and he used the word, and Arsenal have told Smith-Rowe he, he's going to stay. So it, it wasn't Smith-Rowe really wanted to stay and prove himself at Arsenal. It was Arsenal have said that he's staying. Um with that, I wonder if Arsenal are looking at it thinking maybe he wasn't ready this season. They do have big plans and they're hoping that when he goes to the Euros that he'll come back fitter. So the, the under-21 Euros. I, I would Hold on. Expect... He still plays for the under-21s? Yeah. So <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? He is, I think he's just about to turn 23... Oh, he's only, he's only so 22, he's 20, bloody hell. He's, tw he's 23 in July, so it would have been, you have to be the right age when the qualifiers yeah. start, I believe. You know, Odegaard still qualifies for Young Player of the Year. That's crazy, isn't it? So, I mean, it just shows, like, the age, not just the age profile of the squad, but it, I guess it just shows the level of maturity and how good these players are. Because when we're talking about a 22-year-old, a 23-year-old, in, in, you know, in the way that we're speaking about them it's 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 laughable to um suggest that we've had a poor season or we've bottled it when it's quite extraordinary that they even um, achieved what they did yeah no absolutely and i think with with smith rogue under the 21s you would expect him to play every game there and if he goes out and gets i don't know depending on how far england go four five six seven games in his legs comes back like let's face it he hasn't had much football so going and playing a summer tournament is going to do him more good than someone like Saka who needs to put his feet up for the next month but um Smith Rowe hopefully he comes back from that hopefully gets a couple of goals maybe a couple of man of the match performances and really proves his fitness and comes back for pre-season looking lean sharp and ready to go and gives Arteta a real case. I think Arteta has always believed in his ability. He did give him the tan shirt. He did give him a big contract. It's just whether Smithrow can reach the level that he wants him to reach. And talent-wise, I I've, I love Smithrow. I think he's incredible. 
but it's whether he can do it on a consistent basis. And the big thing is availability. And I talked about it last week uh, with Martinelli when I deemed him my most improved player. He's been available all season. With Smith Rowe, he started off, uh, I think he started the season injured, and then he came back. So he's injured during preseason, came back for a bit, then got ruled out for months with the groin injury and the surgery and so mm. on. And then since he's come back, he's been on the bench quite a bit. He's come off it a few times. And in truth, other than the – it was the Bournemouth game, wasn't it, when he, he came off – Someone went off early, possibly Trossard went off, and then Smithrow came on and got subbed back off again, and he got the assist for party. But that's the only game he's played any kind of noticeable moment, minutes in. And so it's really difficult to judge the level he's at right now because we don't know how fit he is. We don't know, I guess, how confident he is. I imagine his confidence is pretty low. But all in all... It's one I would like to see it work out for Smith Rowe, but at the same time for me, if it meant being ruthless, as you said, and the £40 million bid came in and that £40 million was the difference between us getting Caicedo or not getting Caicedo, I would be more than happy to sell Smith Rowe at this point. Well, okay, that, this is it's, it's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on, and I think it's a controversial one as well because um, here is a here is a young man who's got huge bags of potential, and if it is to be believed that next season Arsenal are going to go for the title, the Champions League, and the rest of it, then um, having as many young, hungry, high influential players is going to be quite crucial, especially if it means that Arsenal um, aren't looking to spend hundreds of millions i mean you already mentioned the likes that mentioned the likes of caicedo and rice who are you know more than likely to cost north of 150 million pounds so um surely it it would it would benefit the club it benefits the club to keep individuals like that um and we saw recently that he's got uh trust the process tatted on his rib, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that came after the club told him he was staying. Yeah. So, like, as I say, I, I, w- I do really want it to work out for Smith-Rowe. My, my reason for, us, I guess, being ruthless is having watched uh, Eduardo Diaby, Wilshire, Rosicki, yeah. all those players down the years that, and I loved all four of those players and I pinned all my hopes on them every year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, Haven't seen those players with repeated injuries. Even Koscielny, uh, he missed large chunks of every season because of various injuries. But I I just think availability is such a big factor. And when you look at Ramsdale, Gabriel, Ben White, Bikau Saka, Martinelli now, those guys are available to play every week. And we're losing the other one in that group, which is Granit Xhaka, Thankfully, Mark Nodegaard has shown over the last two years that he can really stay fit because his injury history was a bit patchy before he joined Arsenal. However, I do wonder if that was just from constantly being on the move. Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody else who could be on the move potentially or um, might... You know, <laughs> fans might have something to say about it if he's still here next season. Is uh, Eddie Nketiah, and we know today, the time of recording, which is a Sunday evening, um, uh, Balogun's played his last game. He's going to be going over to the US to to play for them, and Arsenal have supposedly slapped a big price tag of about forty mil, if, the, if it's to be believed, around that region. Um, what what happens to Eddie Nketiah next season? Where does he go? Because this season was supposed to be the season where he breaks out. He's he signed that big contract, um, you know, hundred grand a week. He ended last season off really, really well, but we just haven't seen it take off yet. Yeah, I've been disappointed in Eddie this season. It's he had a run of good games, and even before Jesus got injured. He had a spell where he was coming off the bench and he was looking really good. And then you even go back to the goalless draw against Newcastle. He was excellent in that game. I know he didn't score, and but it was one of those you really saw him coming together as a more complete forward. And then since, I think it was the United game, 
was probably when we kind of started to see him fall off. And that was the point where I thought, Eddie's here. This is his moment. He's going to really kick on. And actually, the number of goals he scored this season has been very disappointing. And yeah, it's a really strange one because, again, if we're being ruthless and it was selling him on Balogun to bring in a more suited option, I wouldn't be against that either because I have been disappointed in Eddie this season. But I do also wonder the timing of his injury seemed strange to me. So it was around the time Jesus was coming back and when Trossard had started playing as a false nine. Mm. So do you think he could have been playing through an injury? I just dropped my light. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was I was I was rushing back to my seat to answer your question, and then I just lo- I just dropped my lamp. Hold on, let me just lift this <laughs> big boy up. Um, <laughs> so, do you, uh, do you want me to re-ask that, and then we can just add that bit out? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. It, it adds adds to the comical side of this episode, which has been all over the place. So, um, do I think Eddie and Katia was playing through an injury? Well. Yeah. In order to answer that, um, I think we need to look at certain traits of players, young players who over the years get better and earn the right to play week in, week out. And to do that, I think a good comparison um, or a good case study to compare this situation to would be to look at uh, Martinelli, who you said um is the most, or in your opinion, is the most improved player of the season that's just ended. And if we look back at the first couple of seasons of Gabby Martinelli, we saw bags of potential, a player who was hungry to play, um, has had a lot of quality, but wasn't channeling it um, the right way. Or maybe it's... Maybe he just he he wasn't he wasn't mature enough. He wasn't ready enough. He didn't have the right amounts of experience. I think he, what was missing in his game was um, footballing intelligence, knowing where to be at what time, knowing when to do at what time. So the problem with Eddie Nketiah we find here is that he is another individual who has bags of quality, ability, who has the potential to come on the pitch and change the game. Um, has goals in him. He's proven. He's proven that he can play at the highest level. But we haven't seen that fine-tuning that we've seen with Martinelli, with Bakayo Saka, um, and you know others. Ben White is another example. Saliba, maybe, I don't know if you want to put Saliba in that same conversation. I think he sticks out like a sore thumb. But with Nketiah, it, it seems to be the same kind of performances. And if he, if he finds himself in a situation where he scores a goal, it seems to be the same types of goals or the same types of scenarios that he's been scoring in the last few seasons. Like I haven't noticed the maturity in his game. I haven't noticed the ability, the awareness to be in certain spaces or to make certain runs or to time his um, runs in between the lines better, to, 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 to stay onside or play um, on the shoulder. It's yeah. The problem I have with Enketier is that there have there hasn't been a, a, a big enough improvement to suggest that he's ready for first team football or to suggest that he can even play um, as a second striker at Arsenal. Because as, as we as we know from this season, we need goals and we need someone who can come off the bench and who can impact the game, not just with goals but also with presence, with the you know different element. A different type of and and when you look at certain players who compared to last season have come back this season and have added to their games to their game sorry he hasn't added much to his game I, I don't I don't think so anyway um so yeah I mean we're bound to have this Eddie Nketiah versus um Foller and Balogun debate sooner or later um what do Arsenal do in this situation? Because it's, it's clear to me that we need a different type of strike. We need someone physical. We need someone dominant. We need someone who can, if things aren't going the right way in the 70th minute, we can bring someone on, throw long balls into the box, try something different. It seems like we've got three strikers who are of the same kind of profile. So do you see a situation where Arsenal offload both Nketiah and Balogun? Potentially... But I can imagine Arteta keeping hold of Eddie. Mm. I think 
in terms of height, they're all relatively small strikers. I, I think their profiles are slightly different, but I, I understand where you're coming from with that. I think Balogun's the most direct of the three, and he's definitely, if you look at the goals he scored in France this year, what he's very good at is shrugging players off and finishing coolly in one-on-one situations. Um, Jesus is someone that I wouldn't back in most one-on-ones. He's just not that composed. And a lot of his goals don't come that way. But Balogun looks really at ease with that Omri-type finish. And the thing with Eddie is I think he's improved his hold-up play a lot. But if you look at his game and you look at the number of goals he scored, he is very much that penalty box striker. And I just think he hasn't kicked on enough. And However, Arteta does really like him. So for me, I wouldn't be against us selling him. As I said, I've been disappointed. But at the same time, I could see the club maybe holding on to him for one more season and then looking at someone else. And I guess it depends on the type of forward Arteta wants. If he wants to really shore up the midfield this year and go for a Declan Rice, he's going to be expensive. And it, it seems we're looking for at least, well, two midfielders at the least. Mm. If if we're going there, that's going to be an expensive area to recruit, but that could also see us through for the next five or six years. It yeah. could be that he's looking at more of a tall for, forward, but right now there's there's a limit to the number of strikers in Europe that score a lot of goals and also can play at the technical level that Arsenal requires. Uh, so... Selling Eddie this year, the club may look at it as let's give him another year, see where he develops, see what happens, see if he can get the goals, see if we can get him completely fit and sharp and really kicking on. We sell Balogun, bring in some money, reinvest that. And then in a year's time, whenever hopefully there's been a merry-go-round of strikers that have already moved, we could look at someone like an Evan Ferguson at Brighton who could potentially be a a forward that's about to explode at that point. So do, do you not think that Arsenal will go out and get a centre-half in this window? A centre-half? Sorry, centre-forward, sorry. Um, I'm, I don't think so. I, I would like us to, but I really don't think so. One of the things I would like is if we were to go out and buy a forward that was a different profile to the two of them, and use Jesus as a right winger to rotate with, with Saka whilst also playing through the middle. So essentially, Jesus plays most games, but he either plays on the right or through the middle, but it means he's not our only number nine. But I, I don't really see that happening. I think all the reports that we're seeing at the minute are we need a either a right-back or a right-sided centre-back, so a player that either allows direct rotation for Saliba or an option for White that means he can step in as a centre-back or Tommy Asu can step in or so on. So when you look at getting that player in and potentially two in midfield, that doesn't leave a huge amount of money left, especially with the calibre of players we're looking at. So, mm-hmm. But I do think we, we absolutely need a player that can rotate with Saka, whether that be a centre-forward that allows Jesus to do that or a a right midfielder that can come in and play there. It's just, I do worry about the amount of minutes he's playing. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's move on and talk about William Saliba and his contract situation. So, reports came out earlier this week that a, an offer was uh, given to Saliba I don't, I don't, I don't like mentioning amounts and stuff because I know, um, you know, these figures can be pulled up from anywhere. But uh, you know, a certain amount was was uh, handed to him. He said no, and negotiations are still continuing. But um, yeah, it's it sent the fans in a bit of a frenzy only because it is William Saliba and we know how valuable he is and any indications that he doesn't want to sign a new contract means that with one year left on his deal, the club needs to make a decision now. So I would imagine his, this, this will be wrapped up by the time next season comes around. Um, but what do you make of it? I think it's one of those that 
we we need to keep Saliba, and I think it could get to the point. I think one of the things with Saliba is kind of he definitely has a lot of confidence in his own ability, and that confidence is justified. He's an incredible player, so I, I would say part of it won't just be the money. I think he will get big money anywhere. And I, I think the the amount we saw banded around social media is probably not true. So it's um, for the, for I those interested. Say, what what is the amount? So the amount I saw was one hundred and twenty thousand a week, which yeah. is what we paid Ben White when we signed him two years ago, and are now giving him a new deal. So I, I would imagine Saliba would be the upwards of two hundred a week. Just based on his potential, his what he's doing right now, and how good we expect him to get, there is the back injury to consider. It's that's something that could have helped him because it lets Arsenal see how much they missed him. But similarly, it could be a concern for the club, depending on how it's healing. But either way, I think Arsenal need to get this done. And for me, I'd be surprised if we don't get it over the line because, again. The club will no doubt be saying to Saliba's agents and his team, look, these are the players we're trying to get. And I think if we get someone like Rice over the line, that's a huge thing for a player like Saliba to say, right, we've gone out, we've spent $100 on this player who's expected to walk straight into the team and make an immediate impact. And on top of that, Saka, Martinelli, Gabriel, um, Aaron Ramsdale have all signed new contracts. So for that player, there's the feeling, the long-term vision of the club is clearly in place. And it shows that Arsenal are matching your ambition as well. This isn't like previous years where we've been desperate for a player to stay. And that player, so say Van Persie, for example, whenever we all wanted him to stay, he would probably have been looking at it and thinking, Arsenal are going to buy one player. If they sell me, they might buy three. And where are we going to move from here? Whereas now there's a very clear ambition. I, I think that comes from Arteta as much as anyone else. I, I think if Arteta wasn't being backed, he wouldn't hang around. So his ambitions are so high. And I think the club will be selling that ambition to Saliba as well. So I think with contracts, when you put something down just purely to money, it's the same with people in everyday walks of life. Yes, we all need we all want to get paid for our jobs but there is always more to it than just the money side there there's everything that comes along with it on a day-to-day basis and the saliva feeling a big part of the group is definitely going to be something that will mean something to him yeah yeah and i guess one of the issues with these these contract negotiations and you know thankfully a lot of them have gone smoothly this one seems to be a little bit more complicated um and you know maybe maybe it's not as complicated maybe the others were you know the same followed the same kind of path but um a, a lot of a lot was said about when Eddie Nketiah signed his deal about the amount that he was getting and it raised a few eyebrows. I was one of them who raised my eyebrows at the amount that he was getting. And one of the, re- one, I guess now we can see that one of the problems with paying a player that much, and obviously understandably we had to if we wanted to keep him, but an issue now remains is that players like William Saliba and others who are playing regular football are going to be looking at that situation thinking, well, he, you know, he's getting 100k um, I'm playing week in, week out. I'm one of the most important players in the squad. I should be getting double that amount. So, um, and I guess this is this is this is Arsenal's downfall, isn't it? When it comes to contract negotiations, tying down players, um, making sure that we let players go for the right fee. Do you think this is finally going to be the season where we? are able to establish some level of consistency, but also the right negotiations. In any case, in any situation, be it, you know, player negotiations uh, or bringing players in or offloading players, because we've seen some crazy, um, you know, things that have come out from this club in terms of contract negotiations, letting players run down their deals, but also selling players for ridiculously low fees yeah i i think the first one is uh the low fees that has to change this summer that's 
I, I, I do think even with Shaka, fourteen million or whatever is being quoted, that's incredibly it's low. Absurd. And, I, absurd. and I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't buy into this services to the club. Look what Declan Rice has done for West Ham. They're trying mm. to squeeze every penny out of that. And this is a business. Granite Shaka has been paid a lot of money to play for Arsenal over the years, and Arsenal paid a lot of money to get him. We should be selling him for a good fee, and. The same applies with Balogun and so on. We should be squeezing everything we can out of clubs. And for me, the one to look at is Kieran Tierney. If we're selling the Newcastle or Aston Villa, both of those clubs have a lot of money and it's on us to to really make them pay. And look, if they're not going to pay, we say to the player, you're not leaving. I guarantee that club adds an extra five million on if they really want them. Because the reality is, if that club won't pay what the club thinks they're worth, it probably puts a level of doubt in the player's head as well, thinking, well, actually, that fee's no different to what someone else is going for, and Arsenal need to get rid of that kind of like walkover doormat-type tag that we've got with player sales. Mm. Yeah, in terms of Kieran Tierney, a lot's been said, again, over the week about him, and I think it's all but confirmed that he will be leaving the club or... Um, the players definitely looking at options. He's had the conversation with Mikel Arteta and two clubs who are coming in for him, Newcastle and Aston Villa. Um, the figure is quoted to be about 40 mil. Is that right? Or 30 mil, isn't it? I've seen 30 to 40. I, I'll right. be honest. If I think if we get 40 for him, I think that's fair. You have to remember, we paid 25 for him and mm-hmm. he's had four seasons at Arsenal three of which he was a starter. And I know he has it as injury problems, but that was an expensive sign-in who had only played in, in Scotland. He's more than proven his ability in the league. And he's been in and out of the team this year. But if you look at what other players are going for, this is a 25-year-old. He's 25. Proven. Yeah. The guy's been playing for Scotland for about eight years. He can be shown he can play at the left of a back three. He can play as a wing back. He can play as a left back. In a, He's in played at three. right back as well occasionally. He has, yeah. So for me, you're getting a highly versatile player. And if he goes to somewhere like Newcastle, they've got Dan Byrne who they can bring back in. And if, if Tierney does need a breather, they can rotate. Aston Villa have options to rotate. Part of the problem at Arsenal was our squad was so thin, and I think Tierney was also not very good at letting the medical team know when he was carrying something. And we saw it in the All or Nothing documentary where he didn't tell them about the injury, played through it, and got injured in the shower. So I think he will have learned from that as well. And some players just, it's that mentality thing they don't want to give in. But the the number of games Tierney's played, I think it's 123 for Arsenal. It's enough games wow. to warrant. That, that's It's still over 30 games a season. Yeah, It's enough to warrant a good fee for him. And remember, we weren't in Europe for one of those seasons. So yeah. it's um, he, he was very much one of our best players for a long time. A year ago, we thought he could have been our next captain. So for me, 40 million seems like a fair price. And if it wasn't for his injury history, I'd probably be saying 50. Yeah, because I don't see many fullbacks in the Premier League who are as good as Tierney. Um, mm-hmm. You know, players who have a level of consistency in their performances. And that's and that's a really, really big deal. That becomes a really big factor when we're talking about fullbacks because fullbacks in the modern game are, well, you could arguably say one of the most important and influential positions in in in, in the game, in the, you know, the game of football chess you need your fullbacks to be not only bombing forward to attack to support the wingers by you know either overlapping runs or inverted runs you've also got their the the important role that they play in building up the attack building up whilst in possession defensive abilities um if you look at both pep guardiola and um uh, arteta's sides Mikata, who's been you know highly influenced by pep's uh, tactics and his style of football fullbacks are one of the most important players you could say even more important to than um the um attacking midfielders you know your 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 de bruyne's and your odegaard so i think i think we're being quite 
um, you know, liberal with that fee. I think we could go as high as fifty mil because. But it's that it's that thing again, isn't it? It's it's the fact it's because we're Arsenal Football Club. It's because you know you can come to the negotiating table and you could um, twist our arm a little bit or like the other day, right? <laughs> a bit of a side tangent. The other day, right? I was selling my TVs and. I had some guys from Facebook Marketplace came to my house um, to pick up one of the TVs they wanted to buy. And the guy brought in a pack of knives into my house and said, listen, I go around to these restaurants and I sell these knives for a hundred pounds. Um, why don't we s- swap? You know, I give you the knives, you give me the TV. I don't think he was interested in buying it. Um, and he kind of twisted my arm into thinking, yeah, sure. sounds like a fair deal. And I feel like Arsenal are just, typical um kind of what's the word victims you know victims of their own doings you know if 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 they're not going to be able to grow up here in this window and just you know let clubs know that we're not here to play and what you said at the beginning was absolutely bang on and perfect if you're not going to pay the amount for Tierney he doesn't go anywhere he can stay here you know and that might be a consequence of um a bit of negativity in the background and I don't know we'd have to you'd have to see the the trade-off whether it's worth keeping an unhappy player in the camp or whether it's better to let him go but at some point there has to be a point where Arsenal Edu Vinay, Arteta look at themselves and say, we need to change the culture in 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 the negotiating table because we, we, we're not, yeah, we're not we're not making the deals happen, and it has it has a detriment on players coming in as well because players then feel um, they might feel like they can take the piss with contract negotiations. So like you know, we're hearing today that Bayern Munich are another side who are interested in Declan Rice. Well, what if Declan Rice? Um, what if he's given you know a, a, a nice paycheck from Bayern Munich and um, he, he feels obliged to ask the same from Arsenal and Arsenal, he you know aren't able to do that because they're they're Arsenal and you know <laughs> they're soft and they don't have the the, the capacity or the capabilities. Um, I, I would see it the other way around. I think just the money in the Premier League now. I don't think mm. even Bayern can compete with what Arsenal can offer. So, and we're not on the same level as Man City, Man United, Chelsea. It's just the the sheer volume of money that exists within the Premier League right mm. now. So, so in terms of money from Bayern, to be honest, if it comes to a pure financial shootout, the only club I see going daft with it is Man United, potentially Chelsea, although. They look to be really keen to tie up McCarthy. They seem to have distanced themselves from Rice. And uh, whereas United have a history of just paying well over the odds. and But if it comes to paying the wages and so on, I don't have any doubts it'll be because of that. The, the only club that I really think he would choose over us for football and reasons is Man City. Mm. And those reports continue to linger, but... From any reliable journalist, it seems that we're the favourites. So I, I do agree with the point of paying fair wages and so on and ensuring that we've got that equality throughout the squad so you don't have Rice coming in and saying, well, I want 300 a week and uh, because Saka's on that. And it's like, well, actually, then Jesus is banging on the door. Then mm-hmm. Martinelli's saying, and then Saliba's saying, well, actually, mate, I want 300 as well. And yeah. suddenly it gets very out of hand. But... But yeah, I also think we we have to be aware that these players have got us here and our core group of players, we are going to have to pay big wages to. We're going to have to up their salaries. And Arsenal seem very good right now at the performance-related clauses. And I would imagine Eddie Nketiah's contract is actually like that as well. I doubt Arsenal just handed him 100 grand up front. Yeah, no, of course. So so yeah, whereas... uh, from all the reports, Ozil's contract was three hundred and fifty grand a week, basic. So, mm. wh- whenever he had his feet up playing Fortnite every every week, whenever we were playing away from home, yeah. he was picking up three hundred and fifty grand and just like, and he was also at a different point of his career. So, I, I would much rather play pay a player big wages when they're in their peak, 
and then shift them as they're coming out of their peak when someone's still willing to take those wages on, then pay an Obama Yang at, I think he was 31 or 32 when he signed that contract. Mm -hmm. So by that point, there was always going to be a decline and it just happened far faster than we expected. But yeah, but yeah I, I do think you're going to have to pay the wages if you want to compete with the big with the biggest clubs and sign the best players. But you can still maintain a wage structure by doing that. And Arsenal seem to be getting that right at the minute. It's just, it's going to be an interesting one this season to make sure that's maintained. Yeah, that's it. And that's it really, isn't it? It's the most important thing is to maintain that image. So by, you know, conducting business with other clubs and selling them for, for, for well below their valuation would be something which could be a detriment going forward um, with other aspects of negotiating other deals. So just finally, before we end, because I know we've been rambling on for a very, very long time and, you know, we promised that we would keep the podcast a little bit shorter and a little bit more to the point. However, um, I think most of what we've spoken about today has been quite relevant and as to the point as we have made, we've tried to make it. Um, but Arsenal's preseason plans include going to the Adidas training centre in Germany that they visited last season and a US tour as well, which conveniently they did last season as well. Um, but we, we now know that we're, we're going to be playing City in the Community Shield and that sets this whole window up absolutely perfectly yeah absolutely so what date is that do you know uh i don't let's find out community shield 2023 so it will be played um that's strange it just says 2023 well we know that we need a bit more specific so, yeah, I'm guessing the season starts in the weekend of the 14th, so it must be the 7th. The 5th and the 6th and, is what uh, I'm getting from the Metro. Cool. So, yeah, it's no, it's nice to be back in that. It's um, it's one of those games, if you win it, it's a trophy. If you, if you don't, it's preseason friendly. So I'll be honest, I always enjoy the Community Shield. I think it's one of those. It's a nice way to start the season off. And... It's also a an opportunity for us to play Man City early in the season. And I think if we beat them, it would be definitely a confidence boost. Even though it is only the community shield, it's still an opportunity for us to beat Man City. And I, I, we, we've talked about it before, about the build-up before we played City this season. And um, I know you had brought up in the past on the pod, if we played City earlier in the season, would it have been different? And I think we'll we'll see that this year we're playing them essentially the week before the season starts in a somewhat competitive game could actually do us some good. Yeah, and do so, you think, yeah. do you think you'll have a detriment to how the season is started? Like if if Arsenal end up losing that game, do you think it could ne negatively impact? those first opening few games? Because, I mean, look, psychologically, this is, I mean, for me anyway, it's not just a community shield. I'm seeing this as the perfect opportunity to start the season off right and to set that mental precedent almost. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there would be any negative effect if you lose. I think maybe if you get absolutely battered, which mm. I don't think would happen. But if, as I've said, it's, if you win, it's a trophy. If you lose, it's a preseason friendly. And I think that tends to be the thinking around this. So all in all, I think it's just, it's a good way to play City. It's a good way to integrate players. And it's also, for Arteta, it's an opportunity to have a look at some players and maybe make some tweaks in the week ahead. There's always a lot of subs made during that game as well. I can't remember how many subs are allowed, but it is essentially a friendly in that sense. But... But yeah, it gives us an opportunity to get a look at the players the week before the season starts to just get Arsenal back one week earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we, we close off, are you happy with the preseason plans? Yeah, I, I saw there was another friendly added. But but yeah, I'll be honest, at this stage, I haven't really looked into the, the fixtures. I know we're going to the States. I know the tickets cost an arm and a leg yeah so and, we play the mls all-stars we play united and then barcelona yeah i mean i always find it strange when you play a premier league club in pre-season but that seems to be the way it's been going for the last so stupid, five years really yeah weird. but but no it's to be honest pre-season 
it's I always like it because it's a chance to see how we're going to line up for the season. And I think with Arteta, especially, that's the case. And under Arsene Wenger, like we used to watch El Nani play centre back and stuff, and he it was just like a fitness thing for him. Mm. But for Arteta, I think we saw what what he was planning for the season ahead last year in pre-season, and that was part of what made us believe. So I'm hoping we get the same again this year. Okay, good stuff. All right. Um, I think it is time to end it here because I'm beginning to yawn and, you know, I think I'm leaving permanent imprints on my chair. So um, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, this very, very long episode, um, which I'm hoping you've broken down into two parts, um, do give us, uh, do let us know by first and foremost giving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts and spotify and then reaching out to us on twitter to let us know um, you can find us over there at ask therapy pod uh, don't forget to follow and get in touch with us as well if you have any comments anything you want to share you can find adam over on twitter at adam keys underscore you can find me over over on twitter at gunner since 96 and also uh, our very special guest Paul Armstrong, don't forget to give him a follow and some kind words as well. You can find him over there at Our Moaning. We will be back as always next week with another special guest. Um, I promise it won't be as long as this episode. This has been the first one, so please, you know, bear with us. Um, we are making some very positive changes and trying to get in some really good, um, well-esteemed guests. So, guess who I'm actually. I haven't got in contact with, but we're working on it. Um, so thank you very, very much. And as always, we will see you next week. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a lovely week and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>